uh, this morning and through the month of July, you guys, starting this morning through the next four weeks after this, so for five weeks, we're going to be going through the five chapters of John's first epistle. So if you don't have a Bible, raise your hands. Um, Matt, maybe you can help if you see anybody that needs Bibles. Um, make sure and get a Bible into their hand. That'd be great. And open up to the first chapter of 1 John. We'll be rotating teachers through this, through this month, so it's going to be kind of fun. Um, I'll begin with chapter 1 this morning. Uh, Rory will be teaching in the park uh, this next Sunday uh, through 1 John chapter 2. Let's see, then I think we have uh, Jeremy next, chapter 3, and then Aaron, chapter 4, and I believe Fred, chapter 5. So it should be fun. For those of you that haven't spent a lot of time in Paul's epistle in 1 John, it's just jam-packed full of wonderful, encouraging, and convicting um, theology. So let's stand, you guys, and I'll follow along with me as I read the 10 verses of chapter 1, and then we'll pray. Verse 1 begins, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled, concerning the word of life. The life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard we declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Let's pray. Holy Almighty God, in Jesus' name, Lord, we are so thankful for your recorded truth, for your living word of God, Lord, that, that leads us, that guides us, that opens up your heart, your ways, your means, your works, Lord, to us, to follow, Lord, to understand, to draw near. Lord, I just ask this morning, that you would transform our minds, our natural minds, that, they that we would be brought into an understanding of your spiritual truth. Lord, I pray that we would um, be drawn near to feel your heart for the lost, your heart for people, your heart for creation. 
And Jesus, I ask that you would draw us into that excitement and that enthusiasm that John has penned down in chapter one here, Lord, in drawing us near to you, that we would join him in that fellowship with you. So Lord, we thank you. We thank you for this truth. We thank you for the opportunity to speak forth your word for your glory, for your namesake. In Jesus' name, amen. Take a seat and we'll, we'll begin. You know, chapter one, just like the rest of the epistle of John, is just chock full of wonderful information and theology and doctrine. And as I, get, as I will get a chance to go verse by verse through this, this text, through this entire chapter on Wednesday night, this morning I'm gonna be focusing on verses one through four and primarily verse three. What had got my attention as I began to study this and prepare for this Sunday's teaching was that the Apostle John shows in this text an excitement and enthusiasm for this special intimacy of relationship that he has with God the Father and his son, Jesus Christ. And you can read in this that he desires to share that. He wants to invite us in. There's a reason why this is penned down here. So as we look at that, what I really want to concentrate on is fellowship with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. You see, fellowship with God was one of the richest privileges of unfallen man. The Lord God walked in the garden and he talked with Adam as man would talk to a friend. So long as he was willing and obedient, Adam ate of the fat of the land. And among the rich pleasures of which his soul partook of, none was greater than this. Adam enjoyed unbroken communion with God his father and his friend. Sin, as it has banished man out of Eden, also banished man from God. And from that time, our face has been turned from the Most High, and His face has been turned from us. We have hated God. And God has been angry with us every day. For this reason, and this reason only, Christ came into the world to restore to us our lost relationship with the Father. It was the great purpose of his awesome sacrifice, paid at the cross, to put us in a position that would be equal to, and even superior to, that which we occupied in Adam before the fall. Namely, fellowship with God. Those who, by grace, through faith, have believed and have been washed in his precious blood, shed at the cross, according to Romans chapter 5, verse 1, have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. According to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19, we also 
are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. According to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, we have access with boldness to the throne of grace before which we now stand. It says, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Therefore, we who are in the kingdom under the dispensation of the second Adam, and that being Christ, have had restored to us in all its fullness that fellowship which was lost to us by sin and the disobedience of the first Adam. The Apostle John, as we take a look at him and we take a look at this epistle, was among the number of those who enjoyed the privilege of fellowship with Christ in the flesh. John had been Christ's closest companion in that during the incarnation, he was one of the favored three who enjoyed the closest intimacy with the Redeemer. He had seen Christ in his transfiguration. He was with him as he spoke, as, as Christ spoke to the young child saying, little girl, I say to you, arise. And this little girl arose from the dead. He also had stayed at Jesus' cross as the spear was thrust into Christ's side after death. And he had a chance to watch as water and blood poured from the pierced heart of Christ at the cross. John had the nearest and probably the dearest and closest fellowship with Christ in the flesh, yet he was now gone. It was no longer possible for John to hear his voice, to see him with his eyes, or to handle him with his hands. Yet John had not lost fellowship with his Lord. Although John knew him no more after the flesh, he knew him in a much more intimate way than had ever been possible before due to the glorious outpouring of the Holy Spirit given at Pentecost. Because of the indwelling Holy Spirit, his fellowship with Jesus was now more real, more close, more sweet, and more divine than it had ever been when he had walked with him when he had talked with him, when he had, had been privileged enough to eat and drink with Christ at his Last Supper. John says in verse 3, he says, Truly, our fellowship is, not was, truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We need not to regret that we never saw or heard or touched the Savior, because we also, without seeing or hearing or touching him, we can believe in him and we can rejoice in Christ's promise that he said to Thomas in John chapter 20, verse 29, as he said, blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. Furthermore, since it is through faith rather than by sight or hearing or feeling that the Spirit of God operates upon us, we believe the invitation that was given by the apostles regarding Christ, that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship 
is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. You see, what the apostles had learned, they learned in order that they might tell others. Everything that John saw, he was prepared to speak of to the very best of his ability that others might have fellowship with him. You see, when fellowship is the sweetest, your desire is the strongest that others may have fellowship with you. And when truly your fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ, you earnestly wish the world would, could share in this amazing blessing. Just listen to the excitement in John's voice as he invites us in to share with us this wonderful intimacy of fellowship with his blessed Lord. Just listen here for a second. The first four verses. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. That life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. You know, if you stop and realize, I guess chronologically, what's going on in this epistle, Christ's work at the cross, his resurrection, and his ascension had happened 60 years before this point. This wasn't just happened and he was in the, the excitement of the moment. This had happened a long time ago. And even as a very old man, you know, depending on how you read who and how old the Apostle John was, he was somewhere around 85 to 90 years old. And even in that age and how long ago it had been since he had had um, relationship with Christ in the flesh, this is the excitement that he pens down. You can see the bubbling up within him to invite you to share in the joy of this fellowship with God the Father and his son Jesus Christ. This, mor this morning my focus as we, as we talk and we kind of walk our way through an understanding of where John was in this epistle I'm going to be focusing on the source or the fountainhead of this excitement as we hear the Apostle John declaring to us, you know, have fellowship with me. See and, and feel the fellowship that I have with Jesus Christ. And this word fellowship translated in the Greek is a word that's, that's pronounced koinonia. If you guys haven't seen that or haven't studied that word, Koinonia in the, Greek, in the Greek means fellowship or communion. It means participation or it means sharing. And it can, the term can be used to mean the intimate sharing in one another's lives as we gather together as the bride of Christ, as the church. This is where our body has developed by the grace of God what we call 242 groups. And those of you guys that have been around this body for a while, you know, understand that we gather together on the second and the fourth Sunday afternoons, just sharing intimacy and fellowship, relationship with one another as a family. 
Acts 2.42 reads like this. It says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. Now that word fellowship is koinonia. So they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. This verse lays out to us the truth in that one of the four patterns of discipleship practiced regularly in the early church was continuing together in koinonia. Our, for, our focus this morning will be the source of this fellowship that we enjoy with one another, this koinonia, and how it begins with our koinonia or our communion with God the Father and with his, his Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. So my desire this morning, you guys, is not necessarily to preach to you as to what this means word by word and verse by verse as we walk through this four verses. My desire is to lead us as we walk together in an understanding of what it means to have fellowship with God the Father and with His Son. I'm going to use an illustration, an analogy. And I want you guys to just, just follow through with this line of reasoning as the Lord has put this on my heart and I desire to share it with you guys, my brothers and sisters here. This illustration or this, this story, even though it falls probably so short in, in the complexity of, of God's majesty, in his plan of redemption, um, it falls so short probably in the complexity of this story of redeeming mankind from sin. I believe it's helpful because it will paint a picture for us and did to me a picture of what it means like to have fellowship as we walk through step by step through this story in an understanding of what fellowship really is. So let's start with this analogy. Let's suppose that there's a horrible plague, a disease that is spreading through this community, spreading through the region, and spreading across the world. And in this city, in this community, lives a father and a son whose one focused care was for the healing of others. So suppose, as we take this illustration further, that you lived in the same house as they lived and had opportunity to see the intimate affection between them. You were also in their presence when they discussed together in their council, right? What was to be done for the multitudes of these dying people? You watched the commitment of the son making this personal sacrifice of going into the homes day by day of those dying from this horrible disease. Every day as the son heads out for his work, you see the father's smile resting upon him. From this privileged position, you watch the work of the rescue, the deathly sick being plucked out of the hands of this terrible disease. You observe the father's love and you observe the son's sacrifice 
and you're filled with admiration of the work that's going on here. As we are living in such a house, the first thing necessary for fellowship with this father and with his son would be mutual communication. To live in this house, yet never to speak to them or be spoken to by them would be no fellowship at all. Just to know that the work was going on by these two would not make us partakers with them and would not give us communion with them. We must speak to them and they must speak to us. That's the very beginning of our fellowship with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. You cannot enjoy this fellowship unless your soul has learned to speak with the Lord in prayer and in praise, and unless your ears have learned to listen to whatever He says through His Word, by His Spirit, through His servants, and in creation. You must have ears to hear and a heart to believe all that he says to you, and you must have a tongue that responds to his voice. This mutual communication must be, or there will never be, true fellowship. Now let's look at this illustration just one step further. Let's say you're living in this house, and you're deathly sick with the disease of this plague. In all of your suffering in this house, where the one business carried out is the healing of the sick, let us suppose that you refuse to put yourself under the care of this son, who is the great physician. If you despise his remedies, if you delay in receiving them, you cannot be said to be having any true fellowship with him. Apparently, you do not appreciate his efforts on behalf of others, or you would be willing to accept his services on your behalf. It is his business to save, yet you are not saved. He is close to you, and he's able to heal you with just the very touch of his hand. Clearly you do not believe in him, for you do not desire to submit yourself to him. If we have any fellowship, if we are to have any fellowship with Jesus, we must first surrender these sinful souls into his loving hands. We must first go to the Father and confess that we are sinners and that we trust in his atoning sacrifice paid by the blood shed at the cross of Calvary by his only begotten son. So here we are. First of all, we're in communication with the Father and we're in communication with the Son. Secondly, we're reconciled by the death of his Son, healed of that dreadful, soul-destroying disease of sin. We've begun to walk. We've begun to talk. And we've begun true fellowship with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Now it's necessary also, as we are living in the house with the Father and with His Son and desiring to have full fellowship with them, 
that we would have an intelligent understanding of the work that they are doing. Suppose we know as a matter of general knowledge that they're healing the sick, but we're not aware of the self-denials in which this blessed son has exposed himself, or the loving heart of the father that was willing to give up his only son to endure all the pain and the suffering that this plague brought to those who were dying. If we do not know the details of their work, nor an understanding of the great end that they have in view, how can we have full fellowship with them? You know, let us, as we desire to follow hard after Christ, let us dive deeply in, into the mystery of his mercy and love. Colossians 3.16 commands us, as it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And as you increase in the knowledge of the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ, through the revelation of the Holy Spirit of God, you will also increase in your fellowship with the Father and with His Son. We will advance this story even a little further when this work which is being done by those who we are so close to start commanding our intense approval and our admiration. Look for a minute at this illustration, thinking of the heroic father and the self-denying son, and say to yourself this, how amazing is it that these plague-ridden people should be allowed to come and howl and rage against him at his very door? Yet all the while, he is living for them. How strange it is that these people, in the very madness of their disease, even seek the very life of his son, the great physician. Nevertheless, they are the objects of this great physician's intense care. And he is ready to even lay down his life for them, that they may be saved by him. You would find your, your heart going out in wonderful admiration of that father and of that son. And their abounding, unconditional love would draw you further into fellowship with them. When we see the grand design of God, making his friends, or sorry, making his enemies into friends, changing rebels into loyal servants, making prodigals into sons and daughters, lifting up heirs of wrath and causing them to sit with him as kings and priests upon his throne. When we see Christ come down to this world to bear upon his own shoulders the weight of this world's sin, you cannot help but to admire him and approve of him and enter in even deeper into this fellowship with the Father and with His Son. Our fellowship is developed even further when at last you are able to enter into sympathy with the divine workers. Suppose you lived in that house with the Father and the Son and you witnessed day after day this work of mercy going on. Poor, starving and dying people picked up, placed in the hospital, 
and healed. And that great physician, the son, perpetually suffering in order that he might heal them, enduring all manner of insults and public shame at their hands, yet always determining to save them. You would come at last to feel such sympathy with both the father and the son that the, these plague-stricken people would be almost as much the objective, the objective of your care as it is theirs. Your enthusiasm for the suffering and for this blessed work being done to save them would peak to such a degree that if it were possible, you would wish to be engaged in this work. You begin to take an interest in the details of this service and you rejoice as you hear of the sick ones being restored. You feel that you must love this self-denying physician with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, and with all of your mind. For he has given up all of his comfort, his ease, his honor, everything to save these suffering and dying people. And when you hear of his being despised and rejected of men, you feel that you could even wash his feet with the tears of regret that he should be so shamefully treated. Now you're getting into fellowship with him. When you think of the Lord Jesus and the Father planning and working with heart and soul for the salvation of the lost, when we hear of sinners being saved one by one and our soul leaps from within. When your heart feels intense sympathy with the eternal purpose of the Father and the gracious work of the Savior, it is then that you are truly having koinonia with the Father and with His Son. Let's suppose also that you're living in this house again with the Father and the Son. You see what's going on. Your heart is being touched. And you would want to go still further and you want to share in their work. Not just being sympathetic with it, but sharing in it. As you have been cured by the touch of this Son, you would feel so intensely sympathetic with Him and the great work that he's doing that somewhat humbly and timidly you would even venture to say, can I be of any use? Can I carry the medicine? Can I put on bandages? Can I bring a cup of cold water to some fevered lips? Can I wipe the tears from a weeping eye? Can I sit up at night with the sick who need to be watched and cared for? Can I even clean the floor? Or can I, can I loose the laces of the great physician's shoes? And if as surely as will be the case, when you stand up for the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ, some of the patients will begin to mock you as they mocked him. 
And this is going to reveal yet another phase in your fellowship with him. Then you will understand why he is so patient. For you will need to ask him for more patience. When your warnings, your instructions, your comforts are rejected as his were, then you will go to him and say, Oh Lord, I understand now a little of what your griefs were when you were despised and rejected of men. For they have rejected your word that you put into my mouth. In struggling to do good with others, you will meet with such rebuffs, misrepresentations, difficulties, and direct oppositions that you will go to the Savior and say, Jesus, my Lord, I can understand you a little better. Not that I am anything as I ought to be, but even my failures help me to see more of your sovereign patience and your mighty love. Oh, great self-denying and self-sacrificing Lord. I would never have had such fellowship with you as I now have if you had not permitted me to take some humble part in this, your great and glorious work. You are now enjoying fellowship with the Father and with the Son because you have become a co-worker with God. We put our puny hands to this great work which he has undertaken, and he strengthens our weak hands to do marvels for his name's sake. He works mightily in us, so we are able to work for him and have fellowship with him. I will suppose that you're living in this house of mercy, which has been our illustration all along, and that you throw your whole soul into the work that's carried on there. Your delight is in this work. You admire and love these persons who you live with, and you now ask that all that you are and all that you have may be used for the furtherance of this work. You ask that you would no longer be regarded as just a tenant in this house, but that you would be guarded as one of the family. And henceforth in your, your humble capacity, be considered as part and parcel of this great mysterious business whose existence means nothing but good to the community and whose influence is employed for the salvation of the lost. It is well if you can say to the Lord at last, Lord, for me to live will be to do your will and to give myself wholly to seek those for whom Christ lived and died here on this earth and for whom the Father's heart has always been set. Father, you will that your truth should be known wherever lies have at present dominated. Please give me the grace to declare your truth 
everywhere according to the measure of my ability. You will that the nations of the earth should be surrendered to your son as Lord and become his faithful servants. Then I pray, Lord, make me a soldier of Jesus Christ and place me on the spiritual battlefield holding high the banner of the gospel of your son. <clears throat> you will indeed have fellowship with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ, when you are nothing and Christ is everything. When you do not live to make money, when you do not live to attain earthly honor or to gain comfort or anything else for yourselves, but when each of us can say, this one thing will I do. For Christ I will live, and for Christ I will be content even to die, so that to the utmost ends of the earth his name and his fame may be made known. Worship team, if you want to come on up. I want to close you guys with a couple of things. One is, I found as I was kind of doing some of the research along with this, back from the mid-1800s, this poem that was recorded regarding this very same um, desire that John had as he reaches out to us in his joy and his enthusiasm to share in this fellowship that he has with the Father and with the Son. And it reads like this. It says, I want to live as one who knows your fellowship of love. As one whose eyes can pierce beyond the pearl-built gates above. As one who daily speaks to you and hears your voice divine. With depths of tenderness declare, beloved, you are mine. And you guys, <clears throat> as John the Apostle had pleaded with us to join in this fellowship, this intimacy of relationship that he had, and remember this was 60 years separated from seeing Christ in the flesh, We plead with you here as well. If you've been following Jesus for a long time but don't know what I'm talking about with this special intimacy of relationship with Jesus, we invite you. Christ invites you. John the Apostle invites you to partake in it to hold out your hand, to submit yourself to the cross of Christ, because how many of us um, have added Christ to our lives as if it was a factor of addition, rather than taking our lives in submission at the foot of the cross of Christ? 
addition doesn't work. And it's not honored and it's not honoring. Submission is the only way that we can attain and enter into this fellowship that John the Apostle had talked about. In this, in our closing song, for those of you that may not know Jesus Christ as Lord, this song speaks about the mission of God and who we are. You'll sing through the, through the verses, but let me just read it through you before we begin. And part of the verses, it says, I'm laying down my life. I'm giving up control. I'm never looking back. I surrender all. I'm living for your glory on the earth. <clears throat> this passion in my heart, this stirring in my soul, to see the nations bow for all the world to know. I'm living for your glory on the earth. For the sake of the world, burn like a fire in me. Light a flame in my soul that every eye can see. For the sake of the world, burn like a fire in me. So with that, you guys, uh, let's worship. <clears throat>